Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. We're going to be uh, continuing our walk through the application section of the book of Hebrews. Um, most of the books in the New Testament are divided this way, where you have a theological section uh, and then a practical application section. And the application section of Hebrews uh, began uh, really halfway through, really with the introduction of chapter 11, uh, all the way through the end of chapter 13. So as we read through this, I said last week, this is a, a very easy portion of scripture to teach in some ways, because you could just look at people and say, read this, and then walk away. It's, it's chock full of application, application, application. But I'm a pastor and a preacher, and we don't ever say, just read this and walk away. We say, read this, and then we say, read it again, and then we say, no, seriously, read this. And then we talk about what you read, and then we drum it into the ground, because that's what pastors do. So... Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. Let's read together. Therefore, lift your drooping heads, lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward... When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And God added his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So the author of Hebrews has gone through this praise of discipline in verses, back in verses 3 through, um, 3 through 11 where he talks about how if you are feeling disciplined, if you are feeling the pressure from the Lord, that's a good thing. That means you're one of his kids. Uh, Peter puts it this way, says, you shouldn't be surprised if you're punished for sinning. Shouldn't be a surprise. The surprise should be if God is silent. That should be the surprise. So, we... Uh, come to this text, and he comes with these exhortations, and you see here, you've got this verses 12 through 17 broken down pretty easily. It's, it's this instruction to you there in verses 12 and 13. Two more positive ones in verses 14 and 15, and then a few negatives. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. A few negatives, and then a negative illustration. A negative illustration is overwhelming, and it's one of those illustrations that ought to give everybody in the room pause. Esau sought a blessing, he sought the birthright, even though, even though he sought it with tears, he was not granted it. He lost his opportunity. I used to have this phrase that I said to my kids, the time for second chances has passed. That's what's going on at the end of this passage. 
And time for second chances is past. And that's what's going on there at the end. So, let's dive right in to the text uh, and rub some dirt on it. This is what my dad used to say when I was playing sports and I'd hurt myself or, or I'd get tired or I'd get worn out. Rub some dirt on it and get back out there. It's always a weird thing to say to a basketball player in a gym. Rub some dirt on it. If you took him literally, you'd go, where's the dirt? His point was, suck it up and go play. Go work. Go do the job. So this is the point in the book of Hebrews. The author is looking at us. Rub some dirt on it. Get back out there. He knows it's hard. He knows you've been disciplined. He knows you've struggled. For sovereign grace, for most of you, as we've walked together in the last couple weeks, he he knows you feel like everything around you is falling down and you're the eye in the storm for everyone, and that's heavy. He knows that. Now rub some dirt on it and get back in the fight. So, here we go. Therefore, lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. When we listen to this, we, we auto automatically jump back to what we read in Isaiah 35, where he says, strengthen your hands. He quotes this passage. Strengthen your hands. Lift up your head. And focus on God. Move forward, for you are on the way of holiness. I always thought it was interesting. He doesn't leave it off at, you are on the way, period. It's what Jesus does for us, by the way, when he says, I am the way. He leaves off the of holiness when he claims that title because he is your holiness. There's a reason for that. He is your holiness. He is your righteousness. And he doesn't want the Pharisees that he's talking to to think that they somehow garner holiness by their works. He says, I'm the way. I'm the path of holiness. I am that way. So we, we ought to be drawn back to that and think, Oh, so we are on this way of holiness. We are pursuing holiness. There's work here. And in the context of this, remember what we read in verse 8 of 35, of, of Isaiah 35. Even the fool will not go astray on this way. Because Jesus is the way, and he who began a good work in you Almost all of you can finish it. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Remember, that wonderful exhortation by Paul has nothing to do with you. He began the work, he sustains the work, and he finishes the work. He is the one who does it. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. As we read this, this phrasing, therefore lift your drooping hands. We think about Isaiah and, and that passage and reminded of the way of holiness. We also can remember David because we were talking about these old saints in chapter 11. We remember David who lifts his head and lifts his hands when everything around him seems to be in destruction. When everything seems to be falling apart, David lifts his hands and lifts his head. says, I will lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. Father, to you I lift my hands. To you I wait. For you I wait. 
You will come to rescue me. Even in the midst of his schizophrenic psalms. Right? Let's be honest. David's schizophrenic. One verse he's saying, Lord, your arrows have consumed me. Why do you hate me? Selah. The next verse he's going, you are my peace and my joy. Back and forth. Over and over. You want to feel good about your prayer time with the Lord? Read the Psalms. You'll see a man who seems so confused 90% of the times that he's done even, he shouldn't even talk. This is, this is the interesting nature of prayer and honesty. Lift your heads. It ought to remind us to, of David who lifts his hands and lifts his head and turns to the Lord. Strengthen your knees ought to draw our minds back to the idea of Gideon. Right? Strengthen your knees. Gideon, who's called the weak need, literally the weak need. Did you know that one of the commands in, in warfare in Deuteronomy is that you should not be afraid? Literally, you should not have weak knees. And what does it say of Gideon? He's afraid and he has weak knees. Over and over and over. He's afraid and has weak knees. First rule of warfare. If you're afraid, you go home. That's what it, that's what it says. You, you gather the army. Who's afraid? Whoever raises their hand, you send them home. It's crazy. Warfare for God is totally different than warfare for us. Right? For us, we tell our soldiers, you move past your fear. But for God, it's, you're afraid? Go home. I will do this without you. Gideon, weak-kneed judge is used by the Lord to defeat the Midianites. Then we have this picture of straight paths for your feet, and you remember that command in Deuteronomy chapter 8, to the left or to the right you shall not turn. You shall walk in my statutes, you shall follow my ways, to the left or to the right you shall not turn. You will hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, Walk in it. To the left or the right, you will not turn. Should remind us of that portion of Scripture. And to what end? Make straight the paths for your feet there in 13. So that, so that, you make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There's a great old phrase that says, never trust a man without a limp. You never trust a man who's never been through anything painful. It's a great old phrase. But you are given limps in life, not so that you would continue to limp, but so that you would learn from them and be healed. Not so that you would continue to be out of joint and out of whack, but so that you would learn from them and be healed and grow. That's why you were given limps. That's why lame, that's why lameness is, is something that comes upon you as an act of discipline from the Lord. That you would learn from it, grow, and continue. And hear me, you may have a limp the rest of your life. It may be something. I'm not commenting on physical ailments. I mean that soul brokenness, that moment when you feel broken inside, you're not intended to stay in that condition. You are, you are intended to learn, grow, and move forward. A man with a limp 
can do more when he has learned to move and work than men who have never been hurt at all. So we are to learn from these things. We are to, we are, we are to make straight paths for our feet. We are to strengthen our weak knees. We are to lift our drooping hands so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, there's a context going on in the book of Hebrews right here that is a communal context, and it's one of those things that we miss as Americans because we are very much individualists. So we are very much people who pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, and our faith is our faith. It's a personal thing. It's not everybody else's. The author of Hebrews would argue with you. Yes, it is everybody else's. You are part of a body. This is all done in context. So lifting your drooping hands doesn't simply mean your own, but it means lifting each other up as well. Strengthening your weak knees doesn't mean just your own, but it means each other as well. I'm part of a a forum of about 4,000 Baptist pastors online. It's a private forum that I that I get to be a part of. It's, it's a lot of fun because pastors are goofier than anybody else in the world. And they post a lot of really funny, goofy things and occasionally some very serious things. And they talk to each other and they talk about the struggles they have in their churches. It's, it's fun to read about and it's engaging and, and it's very encouraging. You know why? Because Sovereign Grace doesn't have nearly the amount of problems as everybody else in the world. We aren't arguing over the color of the carpet, mostly because we don't own any. <laughs> we don't have nearly the trouble that these other people do. I, I was on there the other day, and some of the problems that some of these pastors deal with, I was blown away. I was like, oh my goodness. And this is coming from somebody who's been at other churches that we have had. Let's just stop there. Problems. There's been problems. <laughs> Too many insults came through my head and they weren't righteous and holy, so forgive me. So many churches struggle. So many communities of faith have forgotten who the adversary is and have determined that the adversary is some program, building, or activity. Built sacred cows, done things that are Foolish. And I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful that you care about each other, that you text each other, that you check in on each other, that you, have, even this morning, have looked around. I know you've looked around and you've gone, okay, so-and-so's not here. I need to call in this week. So-and-so's not here. I need to, need to get in touch. I know. I know you have because I'm doing the same thing. And I watch you do it. And look, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that you actually care about what matters. And not about goofy things. That's enough of that. You are to lift each other up. That's what we are to do as a body. The lame might not be point out of, put out of joint, but be healed. This is an understanding of grace that is a rather mature one. We understand that grace afflicts us with pain sometimes. So that we can grow. Grace reveals and exposes things in our midst. 
so that we can lift one another up and so that we can say, I see you're struggling. Let me come alongside. Let me walk with you. Let me help pick you up. That's why this passage is here, to exhort us to that end. And when we get this, when we get this, what a people we will be and what honor we will bring to the most holy God. When we grasp that, that saying that we have here, when we grasp it to the full that we all have struggles, let's do it together. When we grasp that and when we get the whole, it's okay to, to not be okay, but you can't stay there. When we get that, when we really grasp it together, this is life. This is holy community. We live for a time that we would learn the lesson and move forward. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without no one, without which no one will see the Lord. Well, that's an intimidating phrase. Strive for peace. The, the term strive here means chase it down. Chase it down. And the strive modifies both peace and holiness. Strive meaning chase this down. It takes work to be at peace with each other. It doesn't happen by accident. There are people in life who you will get along with more than others. That is to be understood. There are people who you will uh, connect with on a, on a greater level than other people. That's okay. Hear me. That's okay. There are some people who don't connect well, period. We have all kinds of psychological jargon for those people nowadays to make them feel better and to help them understand who they are and help them to grasp how to communicate well. There's entire books written on it, on these social dynamics between an extrovert and an introvert and an outrovert and a, you know, all the other verts. Got a bunch of them. The extroverted introvert and the introverted extrovert. We seem more convoluted every time there's a new personality profile that comes up and we read the book and people are walking around going, I'm a seven, I'm a five. Oh, you're a person. No, you're not a number. You're all different. None of those things actually measure up perfectly. I'm an MFTG, why is he? No, you're not. We're all different. We're all intended to be different. We are to strive for peace with everyone. Now, this striving for peace with everyone in the context of what we're talking about, this striving for holiness, is a striving with peace within the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ. That's what he's specifically addressing here. And we know that because the very next phrase is, be sure that nobody fails to obtain grace. So this is within our body. He's, he's talking about lifting each other up and, and striving for peace and chasing down peace. It is not easy. It is not fun all the time. No one likes sweat. But everyone likes the result of sweat. No one likes getting gross, getting your hands dirty, and confessing your own wrongs, and, and being beholden to other people, and, and saying, please forgive. No one likes that. Everyone wants the result. The author of Hebrews is telling you, rub some dirt on it and get back in the game. 
Press through. Strive after peace. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, Insofar as it depends in you, on you, be at peace with all people. Listen, there are going to be things and issues that you just you can't solve. And I want you to hear this. It's okay, so long as they don't ruin the community of faith that you have with other believers. There are things that you're going to have to overlook and move past. If you want to be a believer, if you want to live like Christ, you're going to have to overlook Peter's. You're going to have to overlook John's who constantly lay down on your arms and won't leave you alone. By the way, that's what I think John was doing all the time. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved because he wouldn't get off him. You're going to have to overlook Thomas's who are always doubting what you're going to do. You're going to have to overlook Nathan's who are always quoting the law. You're going to have to overlook the flaws of people and the character traits of people. You're going to have to overlook those things for the sake of striving for peace and holiness within the community. If you can't, I just want to give you three simple things to test yourself here. If you can't be at peace with someone, if, if there's somebody that you can't be at peace with, there's three possible reasons. One, and you have to you have to be willing to admit these, or these three possible reasons don't matter. But if you can admit these, then you can lay them before the Father and ask Him to work. If you can't admit it, it's okay. Give you time. It's all right. What's it? First Timothy says, let those who are mature think this way, and if not, don't worry, you'll come around. It's a John Elkins translation. That's what it says. Not, you know, God will show you is what it says. God will instruct you. So here's three things to think about. One, if you can't be at peace with somebody, here's one. You, you are not mature enough. That's, or I am not mature enough. There's a maturity issue. Two, they are too contentious. They are too contentious for you to be at peace with them. There are people who are contentious. I, I know because I'm a contentious person. I like to argue. It's fun. And it will bother people. And I know that about myself, so, you know, just before you write me a thank you note for admitting it, I know that about myself, so I try not to. I try not to debate. I really do. I'm not so good at not doing it, but I really do. So first, you may not be mature enough. Two, they may be too contentious. Three, you may not be able to handle that relationship. You may not be able to handle that relationship. If you can admit one of those three and then go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me strive for peace in this area because I recognize this. Then you can watch the Lord begin to birth in you some awesome results. So three areas. If you're not at peace with somebody, you're struggling with peace with somebody. One, you may not be mature enough. Two, they may be too contentious. Or three, you may not be able to handle that person, that relationship. We can always, and, and just, I want you to understand when you admit that you can't handle somebody, what, what you're saying to the Lord is that person is too strong, too powerful, too 
too overwhelming, too aggressive. You're saying something about that person that reflects a weakness in yourself. All three of these are a weakness in yourself, not a weakness in the other person. And when we can admit our own weakness before the Lord, He will birth fruit in you for His glory and His name. We can always handle people that are weaker than us. You ever noticed? We can always handle people that are weaker than us. The trouble comes in handling somebody who's too much. That's a phrase, right? Person's too much. We can always handle people that are weaker than us. Our trouble is when they are too much. So we're to strive with peace for everyone, with everyone, and for holiness. You could almost transpose, in the Greek here, you could almost transpose the word for everyone to in everyone with holiness. Again, this is talking about community. So we are to strive for holiness, and we strive for holiness together. And why do we strive for holiness Together, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is a serious issue. If somebody does not get the holy covering of Jesus Christ, they will not see Him. If somebody does not get the holy covering of Jesus Christ, if they're not trusted in Jesus, they are going to hell. They will not be blessed with, whole, with life. This is a serious issue in the community of faith. If you are a part of the body, we strive for holiness together as proof of salvation. Not because it makes us saved, but because it validates what is true. We strive for holiness together because without holiness, no one sees the Lord. So great is the holiness of God that none can come into his presence without the covering of Jesus Christ. Indeed, indeed, as a Christian and as a believer, one of the first things you should ask yourself when you feel distant from God is, Lord, if there's any unrepentant sin in my heart and in my life, expose it that I would be able to see you. If there's anything in the way, let it die. There's a powerful song that I've been rejoicing with called Clear the Stage, where the author says, Clear the stage, set the sound and lights ablaze, if that's the measure you must take to smash the idols. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends, that until you are broken for your sin, you can't be social. Get on your knees and beg the Lord until they blister. Beg the Lord to see Him. This is important because without holiness, we won't see the Lord. And here the author of Hebrews says, Strive for peace and strive for holiness. Run after it. Sweat for it. Break for it. If you are tired and sore, great. Rub some dirt on it and keep running. Keep running. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain grace. I like to put that this way. I like to say, say this. Look out for each other. 
Look out for each other. We all have struggles. Yours just look different than mine. We've got all kinds of phrases here. We all have struggles. Yours just look different than mine. Let us struggle together. It's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay there. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep going. We lift one another up because that's what Christians do. That's what Christian community is about. We lift each other up and we together pursue Christ with all that we are. And then you've got these negative examples. So we are to see to it, let's say see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And then you've got this negative examples. Here's some negative examples of people failing to obtain the grace of God. One, that no root of bitterness springs up and cause, causes trouble. The, the idea here of root of bitterness doesn't mean that there's a bitterness uh, that is just kind of below the surface, but that there is an essence of bitterness that is going to bear fruit of bitterness. This is not as though everything is going well and there is just one little thing off to the side. The author of Hebrews is noting that if, if there is a root, if there's something here that is, that, is, that is bitter in the base, the fruit that expands from it will be more bitterness will be more bitterness. So it says here, do not let a root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble. These roots of bitterness will spring up and cause trouble because the very essence of them is bitter. The fruit that comes from them are going to be bitter. Now, the tricky thing about the about roots of bitterness and roots and flowers and plants is that sometimes they look fine. That's why he talks about a root and not a tree. Because sometimes it looks fine. On the surface, everything looks clean. But you know in your heart where you are with the Lord. And you know what the difficulty is. And you know that you must stamp it out. Now, listen to the author of Hebrews tell you that the best way to stamp it out is in a community. To go to the other person or the other people in the body and say, I have this issue, I need help. And let them war with you. Most of the time it's just going to be, let's pray right now. And we pray, and then the next week they check on you. Hey, how are you doing with that? We talked about that last week. How's it going? And then an honest answer. And it just continues like that because that's what striving is. Sweating, working, reading, writing, moving. We stamp out roots of bitterness because by it, many become defiled. If there's a root of bitterness in one that grows into a tree of bitterness, and it's not addressed, then it becomes a problem for the many. Next, we've got this phrase in verse 16 that says, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Really got two things there. Sexually immoral and unholy. Those are two separate things. It's easier to see that in Greek than it is in, in English. In English, we tend to lump those two together and go, that's the same thing. But these are two distinct things in the text. 
sexually immoral. So we deal with that first. If you are to strive for peace and strive for holiness, then sexual immorality is not allowed. Can we just say that out front? It's not allowed. I do marriage counseling with a lot of people. One of the things, we do the last session. The last session is the session on intimacy, and it's always awkward. It's great. So uncomfortable. Everybody in the room is just kind of like, what's he going to say? The, you know, depending on how young they are, they're either giggling or they're looking away, right? It's awkward. One of the things I tell married couples is, listen, dirty movies are not allowed. They're not allowed. It's unholy, it's wicked, it's perversion, and it only leads to pain and problems. They're not allowed. Perversion, not allowed. Inappropriate, coarse jesting, not allowed. Now, I have not given them black and whites until this session. But the Bible is clear. These things are not allowed. They must, what is it, 1 Corinthians says, they must not even be mentioned. There can't even be a hint of them in a Christian. Because it's not who we are. Perversion simply not allowed. So one of the ways that we hold each other up and the way that we make sure grace is extended to each one of us is to deal with sexual immorality. To deal with it directly, to talk to people about it, to say direct statements. One of the things that you will find if you come to me and say so-and-so over here is living sexually immoral, one of the things you will find is I'll go, great, go talk to them. Go tell them. That's wrong. If you look at me and go, well, you're the pastor, I'm going to go, so are you. We're part of the body of Christ, and this is all of our jobs. If you leave it to me to deal with everybody's issues and everybody's struggles, guess what? They're not going to get done. I can't. I will deal with what I see and what I hear, just like I expect you to deal with me the same way. We covenanted together that we would hold each other accountable. This is, this is the way that we do it. We work hard. We strive for peace. We don't let each other wrestle, rest in sexual immorality. We also don't let each other wrestle, rest in unholiness. Like, like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he, re- he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. We don't let each other rest in unholiness either. We press through to holiness because that's what Esau did. He rested in unholiness. And he sold his birthright for a single meal. So, so here, in context of Hebrews, remember that we're supposed to be looking towards this goal, saying heaven is better, saying Jesus is better, saying life with God is better, and therefore unholiness is the act of saying what I have here is better than what I could have there. Unholiness, by definition, is saying that the things here are better than God. That's unholy behavior. That's what Esau did. 
That's unholy behavior. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us to beware of. Stay away from that kind of behavior. Encourage each other to, to remember to keep your eyes on the goal ahead. We keep our eyes focused on heaven knowing that we walk the way of Christ. The way of holiness. The world is not greater than our Lord. The world and the things of the world are not greater than our Lord. And why? Why? Because, again, this matters. Esau sought repentance with tears in his eyes. Went to his father. I don't know if you... Well, yeah, you should have read the story because we did it a couple months ago. So you, you... Esau came before the Lord and said... Look, I came before his father and said, Bless me too. Bless me too. And the father had to look at him and say, I've got nothing for you. Why? Because you sold your birthright... For stew, you said my belly is more important than the responsibility and the things of God. Lost everything and the time for repentance had passed. The time for second chances passed. Oh, that we would hold each other up that we would lift each other up, that we would love each other, even though we don't do it perfectly all the time, that we would be able to say that we have kept each other walking on the path together. That is Christian community. That is what we need to strive for. That is what the author of Hebrews is calling us to. So in conclusion, I've got one quick story for you. I was uh, you know, it goes back to the sort of rub some dirt on it. I was watching my brother play football. The white one. I've got two. One African-American, one white. The African-American was really good. White one? Yeah, not so much. So, I mean, he was okay. Jeff, if you hear this, I love you. But he was playing... He's exhausted, he's tired, and he's starting to, you know, he's got that 16-year-old, I've been beaten down look on his face, and, and I know he was getting racial stuff from, yeah, he was the only white kid on the team. Well, there were a few, but it was, you know, all African-American school, and I know he was getting racial stuff, because I got it. You know, I got, I got that stuff from the people I played basketball with, and so he's getting it's getting poured on him. He just looks at my dad, and he's got some, some tears in his eyes. And I saw him on the field. He just turns, and he looks up. And my dad looks at him and just does this. And I saw my dad's face, and it had the you know, same tears in his eyes. And he just, and Jeff looks at dad, reaches down, <laughs> and goes back out to the field. I want you to hear that image has stuck with me in my spiritual walk. Because that's what God does so often in our lives. When everything around us is falling down and we feel like we're the only ones who can stand, and you got tears in your eyes and you turn and you look 
And you go, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. God, how do I keep going? And he goes, and it says, do it. Go get it. And we see that he's not only engaged with what we're doing, but he's feeling the same weight that we are. My dad grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. Played football with every minority. And was the only white guy on his team. He knew what my brother was feeling. He knew the struggle he was having to endure and push through. And he knew that Jeff could go back out there and show the power and strength of Jesus Christ and the gospel by looking past the flaws of other people who were trying to crush him. And he could rub some dirt on it and get back out there and keep playing, keep working, keep striving for peace, Keep striving for holiness. He knew it. And Christian, when you turn and you look to God and you say, I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm worn out. And he looks down at you and goes, I know how that feels. You can keep going. Do it. Ugh. Dad didn't even have to yell anything, didn't have to say anything. Just, ugh. And my brother reaches down, picks up dirt. Got it. Got it. Gets back to work. Christian, if you are worn, if you are tired, rub some dirt on it. Get back into the fray. Get back into the fray. God will sustain you. The community here will lift you up. Get back into the fray.